We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because... Well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Toronto. And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. Okay. Nah. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 72. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com. Very thankful to be joined today by my usual compatriots, uh, Riley Fellman and Kyle Carr. But I want to open it up with our special guest, fellow co-managing editor, Mitchell Maurer. And I want to ask you directly, Mitchell, how are you doing? I am doing well. Adam, how are you doing? Oh, wow. I usually don't speak. They usually don't ask me that. Uh, I'm doing Yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'm doing all right. That's why we don't ask, because we just know the answer is going to be, I'm doing all right. <laughs> it's either I'm doing all right or I'm hungover. It's one yeah. or the other. <laughs> Yeah, th- thankfully it's not hungover, even though Philly was a, a wash in celebrations this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Riley and Kyle, I feel free to open up the, the floors open. How are you two doing? I'm doing all right. Kyle, how are you doing? Things are as good as it can be, I guess. Can't <laughs> complain. Things are getting better in this country. So there's that <laughs> overall, overall. Yeah. Pro- progress is being made one small step on a very long journey. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that's going to be the main topic for tonight is in terms of the bucks progress towards a, a championship this upcoming season. And the reason we have Mitchell Maurer on is because he knows the CBA better than anyone else on the brew hoop staff. That's for certain. I would say he knows it pretty well in comparison to the general public as well. Um, And I was really excited to talk more about this trade proposal bracket exercise that you've been running on Mm brewhoop.com. But to start it out, I I just wanted you to give people a run through. I know you've done done this on the site, but every time that we try to talk about the Bucks cap situation and the off season on this podcast specifically, we kind of, you know, we certainly don't get into the nitty gritty details. So I, I was just wondering if you could kind of give people a little bit of lay of the land of, of the Bucks uh, assets and cap situation and uh, what you were thinking of when you started this, this sort of trade bracket proposal. Sure. So, well, I'm not going to talk too fast, even though I probably could. Um, and I don't want to bore everybody out the gate. So let's just get some of the basics out of the way. For the 2020-21 season, the NBA had some hard decisions to make, and they're not really finished with that decision-making process, the league and the players union still have to come together to actually finalize all the changes to the collective bargaining agreement in order to set what the rules are going to be for the next off season. As of now, we don't know what that's going to be yet, but as has been reported, what's most likely going to happen is that the salary cap is going to essentially be run back from the 2019 level. They're going to just repeat with the salary cap at about $109 million. So 109. In future years, they're toying around with the idea of doing uh, 2% raises to the cap. Usually the cap follows uh, the total amount of basketball-related income that the entire league generates and distributes it amongst all of the the teams in the league. With the COVID shutdown drastically reducing revenue, 
that has, you know, obviously taken a downturn. And so they wanted to find a solution to be able to smooth things out so that there wouldn't be just this sharp drop, essentially the opposite of what happened in 2016, big spike up. You were going to be seeing without these interventions, you're going to see a big drop in uh, what salary was available, even with teams that have salary on the books, which means that everybody wouldn't just be over the cap. They'd probably be over the tax if they didn't do that. So the cap itself was probably going to be at 109 million. Now, for the Bucks, because we know the Milwaukee Bucks and the luxury tax is a very popular topic of conversation, uh, they need to know exactly where the tax level is because, guys, sooner or later, they're going to go into the tax. Sooner or later. We're hoping it's going to be this year. Riley's shaking his head. I, th- I think this is the year they're going to go into the tax. But with that drop in the cap, the or rather the cap not being raised to meet projections from last year, um, if they just ran back the current number, it would be about 132.6 million is the luxury tax. Now, to give you guys an overview of what the Bucks are guaranteed to owe right now with people that are on the roster and none of their free agents signed, and the free agents right now, the only ones I'm considering are Sterling Brown, Kyle Corver, and Pat Connaughton, because uh, everyone else has either non-guaranteed money or something else. But that number is for for those players on the Bucks right now. That's 129 million. And so you can see that 129 million of commitments and 132.6 million of the luxury tax, like that's very little wiggle room, very little wiggle room. So what's going to happen based on some of the recent reporting from Bobby Marks is that the league is going to actually increase both the luxury tax and the tax apron levels to match what the original 2020 projections were going to be. Um, So instead of 132.6, the luxury tax would be all the way up to 139. In the tax apron, which is usually about six million above the tax itself, instead of close to one thirty nine, it would be all the way up to one forty five. Now that matters because a number of the routes the Bucks had to actually improve this off season, uh, it risks invoking the hard cap. That tax apron is synonymous with the hard cap, essentially with the way the CBA is structured. If any action is taken by a team that invokes the hard cap, they're guaranteed to spend not a single dollar more than what that number is. Again, that's at the tax apron level. So right now the Bucks are guaranteed to owe 129. If you count cap holds, that number is up to 134. So even as it stands right now, the Bucks are only about 5 million below the tax right now. Um, so that means they have no cap space. Uh, we already know that they retrade away their, their own draft pick and they have the indie draft pick that they might be able to use to take the team. And with all those exceptions that might invoke the hard cap, the team's only method to really improving the roster is through trades. Um, and so that's kind of one of the reasons why I, I pursued this, this project. Uh, I figured that people love trade proposals. They love hypotheticals. People love brackets and people love arguing. So this is a great way to give the people what they wanted. I've got three quick CBA questions for you because you threw a lot of numbers at sure us there. Did. I have them sitting right here in front of me on the screen it means nothing to me. So I'm going to throw it at you instead. So my questions are, so when you say they um, invoke the hard cap, they essentially get hard capped. Correct. Does that then prevent them from signing anybody on like a vet minimum deal? Or are those special in that they're outside? Like they count to the money that you're shelling out, but did they count in terms of caponomics of who you can sign? Like once you invoke the hard cap, can you sign literally nobody else past that number essentially? Yep. Uh, essentially, yes. The hard cap is hard. It cannot be circumvented through any means. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, exceptions, specifically the veterans exception. 
uh, where any, a player of any amount of experience can be signed for a minimum level deal, and they can do so even if the team is over the cap. All of the exceptions that exist in the collective bargaining agreement are exceptions to the cap. When the hard cap gets invoked, there are no more exceptions to play with. So if the Bucks have, let's say, 13 players and they hard cap themselves through whether it's a sign-in trade or using the biannual or whatever, uh, if they hard cap themselves and they have 13 players on the roster, that means spots 14 and 15 are going to be empty. So that doesn't even include the two-way players, right? Two-way players are a little bit nebulous because where their money gets pulled from is from two different pools, depending on whether they're with the parent club or the G League club. Um, I honestly don't know exactly how two-way players fit into it. I would imagine that only the prorated amount that's applied for the 45 days that two-way players get with the parent club before they either have to be converted or sent back down to the G League, which I think happened uh, a couple of times with uh, previous two-way players in, in Milwaukee. Um, yeah. I do believe that that money counts towards the Bucks' salary commitments. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, that's actually a really good question because I don't know all the ins and outs of the two-way. That's too new of a development for my, uh, my experience. Gotcha. My, my second follow-up question would be for Wes Matthews and Robin Lopez, who are the guys with player options. Yes. Does a cap situation where it looks like they're going, the league is going to essentially push it out and act as if it was a normal year cap-wise, mm-hmm. what would that look like then for them in their calculations about whether or not? I know it's different for each guy and kind sure. of their positions, and the, but how do you think that would affect the math and the way that they're going to be approaching this offseason and their player options? Sure. So for, for Robin Lopez, I think that especially because he essentially wasn't used in the playoffs, I don't think that he's going to have much of a market for his services beyond what his salary would get. I think his salary, he's owed uh, $5 million expiring next year. I don't think he's going to find more than that. So my assumption is that he's going to take the option, whether he gets to stay in Milwaukee or whether he gets traded. Uh, I just I don't see between his age and his just overall career level performance. Like, that's part of the reason why Brook Lopez's development so late in his career was so surprising, in that nobody expected him to turn into a you know defensive player of the year candidate, all defensive center, floor spacer on offense. Um, but he did it. That doesn't mean that Robin is going to do it, even though Robin did you know dabble in shooting some threes. So my expectation right now is that Robin Lopez will opt in and keep on his current contract. Wes Matthews, on the other hand, uh, and the funny thing about Wes Matthews, he actually is getting paid about like two point eight million, but on the cap because he is he was signed to a vet min, uh, on the cap he actually only counts for one point seven million for the cap hit. Um, that's a provision that was added in order to uh, incentivize teams to sign older players, or rather not avoid older players just because they would get paid more uh, based on their years of service. Um, so he's got that player option too. Um, so he's going to get that money. I don't know exactly what his market is. I know that Miami's been rumored to have interest in him, which makes sense. He would actually fit really well with the Heat. Um, I can't speak to whether or not he is going to be interested in coming back, considering the way that he wasn't really maximized in the playoffs. Uh, like they brought him in to be the starter, and he started, but he didn't really like. Like he was one of the few people that were was able to kind of slow things down for Miami in that second round series. And he wasn't getting as many minutes as maybe he could have. I don't know if that was health. I don't know if they wanted to keep him fresh for a game seven that never happened. I can't really say for sure. Um, But if he decides, you know what, I, I, you know, I think he's 33, you know, he's, you know, pretty, 
pretty well defined. He's definitely an active defender and a willing three-point shooter. His wind-up on his three-point shot is pretty lengthy. Um, not Delavadova long, but pretty long. Um, if he wanted to test the market, if the if the tax and the apron levels got pushed up, he might find somebody willing to use some MLE money on him. Um, but that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, I would say that Robin is probably 75% likely to stay. Wes Matthews is probably 50-50 in my estimation. Okay. One final question, then I can turn to Kyle and Adam if they have any. If, say, for example, the, the Bucks hard cap themselves, there are 13 players, do you think there would still be a way for Budenholzer to find um, an opportunity for DJ to get DMP CD'd on a nightly basis, even though guaranteed, okay, absolutely, okay. they could they could like Giannis could have a turned ankle and Chris could like strain a hamstring and they could be just paper thin at forward and DJ would still only come in with two minutes left in the fourth quarter win or lose. <laughs> that's just that's that's the rules. We have to play by them. All right, good. So we're still in a universe that we're still attached to. It's not going to be a totally different season. We're going to have some lodestones we can go back to and say, I'm, I'm okay with this. I know what this is like. It's, it's really important to have traditions, especially in a world that's crazy. That's good. Uh, <clears throat> Mitchell getting, getting the answers to the hard questions there regarding DJ Wilson's playing time. Um, I didn't have a whole lot else in terms of the cap. Kyle, did you have anything else we wanted to ask? Our, our I guess the biggest question, obviously, is going to be with Giannis's Supermax. I'm, so the Supermax wouldn't kick in, not the 2021 season, but the 21-22 season, correct? If you were to sign it? Correct, yeah. So, And I know this has been said elsewhere. Um, like Dunkdown has had it, and the Ringer shows have had it, and um, Lockdown Bucks has definitely had it. But if, if Giannis signs the Supermax this offseason, nothing changes for this offseason. The Bucks are still at the cap with just their guaranteed salary. That's the plus. Then you throw in the dead money from uh, Larry Sanders and John Luer. Can't get away from them. Uh, the unguaranteed salary between uh, Wes and Robin, and then Ursan's non-guaranteed money, uh, and then the cap holds, which they can renounce any time. Um, none of that changes if Giannis signs the supermax. That is only going to be applied. Essentially, Giannis is an expiring contract when the offseason starts. He's got one more year at the deal that he signed three years ago. Um, and either he extends before the season starts or he doesn't, and we get to play this game all season long until the next offseason. But he has up until the the very start of the season. He could sign at any time in that period. Yes, uh, there is no limit. Once the offseason starts, that's when the clock starts, and then once you know the season tips off, I think it's the day before the season tips off is when that window is officially shut, and he cannot sign the extension until the following offseason. Gotcha. Cool. Thanks. And then last question I had, um, speaking of Bucks traditions, Ursan Silva obviously has the non-guaranteed. What do you think are the odds of the Bucks picking that up? And would they pick it up mainly just to use as trade bait? Or So I guess the question I'm going to ask is, do you think Ursan comes back? And if Ursan comes back, are the Bucks only doing it to use them as trade bait? Uh, short answer, yes and yes. So Ursan is owed $7 million, which is fully non-guaranteed if he's waived before November 20th. And the reason why it's November 20th is his, his original guarantee date was two days after the 2020 NBA draft. Um, that was in June. It is now November. The draft hasn't happened for obvious reasons. And so if they want to save the money and just cut him loose, they can with no penalty. But because of the Bucks' salary structure, if they want to make a trade – they're probably going to have to use Ursan's seven million in order to, you know, make the money work. 
But if they do that, they are essentially guaranteeing his contract at that point. And so he is no longer non-guaranteed. His $7 million is going to get paid by whichever team has his contract, whether that's Milwaukee or someone else. Um, right. Furthermore, I think that because they have so many few other – like if you look at the contracts starting to bond, like, like Giannis and Chris are obviously not going to get moved. Chris only if there's a ridiculously, mind-bogglingly absurd a blockbuster to be made. But those two are not going to get moved. Brooke Lopez makes like about 12, 12 and a half. Uh, George Hill makes nine. Bledsoe makes, I think, between 16 and 17. And so those contracts by themselves just aren't really enough to bring in some of the players that the Bucks have targeted. So you need that $7 million in order to make the money work. Gotcha. All right, I thought of one. Is there any chance that with West Matthews – can the Bucks do this? Let's say West Matthews does um, <clears throat> opts out of his player option. Any chance he would come back to the Bucks on like a two-year deal for slightly more than the minimum? Well, so the problem with that is I think that, yes, he could do that if he wanted to get more money and wanted to get a little bit more guaranteed uh, time on his next contract. Um, if Milwaukee doesn't sign him to a minimum, the options they have are as follows. They either sign him to part of their mid-level exception, which you can spread the MLE among multiple players, but once you spend more than the non, no, once you spend more than the taxpayer mid-level exception, you hard cap yourself. The taxpayer MLE is 5.7 million. The non-taxpayer MLE, which does invoke the hard cap is 9.3. So if Wes makes 2.8 right now, and let's say they, he wanted to make 3.5, right? Um, they could use some of their MLE to do that. They could also use the biannual exception, which they didn't have last year because they used it on Brook Lopez the year before, biannual, every two years. Um, and the biannual is worth about $3.6 million, so maybe that's exactly what Wes might want. That also invokes the hard cap. So I, the way I see it is either Wes stays on his player option and is a member of the Bucks rotation on the wing, or he's gone. I really don't see any sort of middle ground where they, they're willing to re-sign him simply because – the, the financial penalties involved with that are honestly, they kind of outweigh the positive contributions that West does add. That makes total sense. I also think it's a great segue into, as you laid out some of the options they might even have for bringing someone in, even if it was someone of, of West Matthews caliber of why you went through this exercise and you mentioned it earlier, the necessity of trying to figure out what sort of trade would work for the books. Cause it does seem to be by far their best option for potentially improving. Yeah, no question. Uh, especially if I think the level of risk that John Horse is willing to accept when it comes to free agent signings is going to dictate um, which tools they use in free agency because they they are going to have to add some people in free agency. The Bucks just don't have a ton of trade chips. Um, and but if they really want to like take a swing for a difference maker, even if it's not with some of the sexier names that are out there, like the trade is the only way to do it. The only draft pick that they have control of for this season is the Indiana pick that's twenty fourth overall. Um, we already talked about the MLE. They could use they could use up to five point seven without hard capping themselves. If they use a dollar more than that, they're essentially a non-taxpayer mid-level exception user, and then they're the hard capped. But the biannual is the biannual. It's a small contract. Minimums are minimums. Um, and so there's just not not anything else that you can do besides trades. There are also limits on how much salary you can send out versus take back if you're a team operating over the cap uh, versus a team under the cap. Um, and honestly, that is one of the things that you have to consider who you're even trading with, like trading with the Kings, because the Kings are under the cap 
is going to be different than trading with um, the Mavericks because the Mavericks are over the cap, right? Even if they're under the tax. So there's, there are a ton of moving parts in order to make everything work. And, you know, horses got himself backed into a corner. I don't think that any of the decisions made last year were necessarily bad ones. You know, the idea was to run it back and make a run and maybe it would have worked, but we found ourselves in a different environment. So yeah, trades are really all that they have to, to do anything with. And they've got some pretty limited assets in that war chest too. By by the nature of the way that it looks like the schedule for the off season is going to be really compacted, but like, you know, let's say the NBA and the NBA, NBA players association, they agree to the CBA and everything. And then it's like trade season can open up and everything. Are the Bucks going to be playing from behind the eight ball compared to a lot of teams given their cap situation? Because if they wanted to do like a sign and trade or whatever, they have to wait it out until free agency to get involved, like to move like the 24th pick unless they, unless they picked on behalf of a different team because free agency doesn't start until two days after. I'm trying to like remember how yeah. that sequence so like for example there's like the bogdanovich sign and trade which is like a big mm-hmm. one like oh that's an option they're looking at are they because ostensibly like you would assume probably the 24th pick maybe maybe not on would go in that sort of deal or whatever be, would they be able they would have to essentially figure out the deal with the kings and bogdanovich prior to the draft to make that work or am i now riley them? that would be tampering you can't wow. have negotiations <laughs> in a world world where maybe you could. Yeah. Um, no one ever tampers. Yeah, true. Never, never happened. happened. <laughs> it wouldn't, wouldn't dream of it. Um, but yeah. And that does further complicate things. Any of the most recent reporting that we have is that free agency is supposed to start uh, between 48 and 72 hours after the draft. And you'll note that that 48-hour mark is also Ursan's guarantee date. So that further complicates things. I know, I know. Some people might want to get rid of him by then, but he's he is just not going away. That gum is stuck to the bottom of the shoe, and you are just stuck with it, at least for one more year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a sign trade by by virtue of the schedule. Yeah, sign trade can't really happen until after free agency starts. So if there's any of those players that are under team control but can be you know moved, like a Bogdanovich. Um, or who's another science trade candidate that I saw recently? It wasn't patently ridiculous, but now I can't remember who it was. Um, I'm sure it'll come back to me later. But yeah, sign trade that can't happen out until after the draft means that either the Bucks are making that pick for someone else in a wink-wink deal, or they just happen to get somebody that another team like Sacramento is absolutely infatuated with, which you can't rule out because they're the Kings, yeah. um, or it doesn't involve the pick at all, or it involves a future yeah. pick, which is also a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be tough for us as a site, especially for that 48 hours. It's like, man, I'm, I'm huge on Tyrell Terry. And it's like, well, we're going to be tossing that dude in a trade in 48 hours. So <laughs> don't get used to it yet. But I guess we're sort of used awesome. to having drafts getting turned around and guys getting moved on. Okay, cool. Thanks for the explanation. I'd really prefer if they didn't do that. The the 30th pick farce that was last year's draft coverage that we got to do was, was just delightful. I honestly was uh, glad I was on a cruise ship, so I didn't have to deal with any of it. I just finally found some Wi-Fi, saw what happened. I was like, oh, they picked someone, and he's gone. Okay, tossed my phone. Didn't have to worry. <laughs> so I'd prefer it not happen this year because I'll actually have to pay attention. So, okay, getting into the trade the trade proposal bracket you put together. Yep. A lot of work went into this. I want I wanted to say from the outset, the thing that was most impressive to me looking at it was how often so many of these trades had incredibly close polls uh, across the site. Mm-hmm. I think that's a credit to you, Mitchell, 
I believe one of the one that had the um, largest disparity was one that I put together, which is a, a discredit to me. So I felt good about that one. Um, but anyway, I, I'm curious when you were putting this together, you have you sort of listed out some aspects for us in our organizing doc. But was beyond Chris and Giannis, you think them basically being un- immovable? What other did you have any other sort of uh, guiding principles that you went into it when you were trying to figure out what trades to do? Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about what assets I considered for the Bucks to actually move out, and it's a short list. So this conversation will be actually pretty quick. Um, obviously, in terms of players, the only young players that they have that they have control over are Dante Divincenzo, who most of us like and most of us think is going to be a genuinely decent rotation level player. You know, uh, he's one player, and then DJ Wilson, who is an expiring contract but is still technically younger than twenty five, I think. And so he counts as a, here come the big air quotes, everybody, asset, right? And that's it. Sterling Brown's a restricted free agent, so you can't do much with him unless you manage to set up a sign and trade, which, like, Malcolm Brogdon was a player worth, you know, hard capping yourselves last season. Sterling Brown ain't that. He's a good, a good player. Um, I think that his market is going to be uh, pretty dry, especially because of the revenue issues the league is having. So I don't see him getting much more than maybe a minimum deal, maybe slightly higher than the minimum, which already puts him out of the bucks price range. Um, but they, they don't have control over that because he has to sign a contract before they move him. So he doesn't even count on that list. And then other players that the bucks might be willing to move that are also attractive to other teams um, George Hill, you know, veteran presence, decent contracts. Uh, you, you can get out from under that contract next year if you're willing to eat a uh, million dollars, which the Bucks did last offseason. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, who I know is uh, not quite persona non grata around these parts, but he has value across the league. He's a good point guard. He's an excellent defender. And um, you know what? He was on the floor for that Miami series. So you gotta gotta give him credit for. He was alive. That's that's his value is that he was alive. <laughs> well, I mean, you got you got to take the silver lines where you got him. I mean, the thing with Eric Bledsoe is yes, he does have value. Is he a point guard that a team that's trying to get into the playoffs would like? Sure, maybe. If is he someone that you could trust to make a deep run for a championship? Uh, no. <laughs> if you're just content with being a four or five seed, maybe. Hi, Indiana. You want to take him? You can have him. I don't think Indiana's going to want him. I think they've already invested too much in Malcolm Brogdon. And uh, it would be really funny if they traded for Bledsoe. Mm. All right. Like, can we just can we just recognize the level of polarity it would be for Malcolm Brogdon to get traded, to get out from under the shadow of Eric Bledsoe, who they chose to extend rather than keep Malcolm Brogdon long-term. And all of a sudden, Kyle dropped off the call. Hopefully, he comes back soon. But then, just a year later, Bledsoe's back in the mix in the Indiana. That's... You can't write comedy that sweet or bitter, depending on your perspective. Um, well, I think I think as we have discussed in the past on the podcast, it's difficult for us inside uh, as Bucks fans to really get excited about Eric because we've seen it happen three years in a row now. But like you said, Mitchell, that doesn't preclude him having value for other teams somewhere else, whether it be you know a bottom feeder team who just wants a point guard who's competent to like help lead the team through, or like sort of a fringe team. So it, you're right that. It's difficult for us to figure out Gage's value, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have any value at all elsewhere. Yeah. And then in terms of value, the last player on the Bucks roster who is movable, who I think actually has positive value, is Brooke Lopez. 
Um, I want to give credit to Old Resort for being the first one in the Brew Hoop community to actually call that out. Um, part of the Bucks' problem this past offseason was the defense and the fact that the Miami Heat just completely exploited the flaws in the defense. And part of the reason the defense is the way that it is is because Brooke Lopez is so good at doing his job and so not good at doing any other job. That's not his fault. He came in and did exactly what he was asked to do and did it extraordinarily well. And he got a second team, all defensive team recognition out of it. And, you know, is a good floor space on offense and does still have some scoring punch from his Brooklyn days. Um, and so, you know, if you look at his contract making between 12, 13 mil, like that's valuable. A team could use that. There's plenty of teams that could use that sort of player at the center position. And that's the sort of thing you have to consider if you're looking at adding talent that's going to be a net positive for this team. I don't necessarily want to trade Brooke Lopez, but I'm willing to. Um, and so those are all the players that we considered uh, adding. Uh, by and, large, and there were other, in order to make the money work, or for my patently ridiculous John Wall proposal, which for the record, I hated. I hated every second of it. I don't want, ha- did not want, will never want John Wall on the Bucks because of his injury history, because of his playing style, because of a whole bunch of reasons. But I think it's important to recognize that that's the sort of move the Bucks at least need to talk about in order to accurately gauge value of other players across the league. Uh, but in terms of picks, what do they have to work with? They have the 2020 Indy first, which we talked about already. They got a, a bunch of future seconds, some of their own, some of Indiana's. Uh, but the earliest first round pick that the Bucks can trade of their own is 2024 because of the Stepien rule. They already traded their pick. Um, <clears throat> they they traded their pick for this year, which means they're locked into next year. They already traded their pick for 2022, which means they're locked into 2023 to make it themselves the same way they are next season. Uh, so 2024 is the earliest future pick that they can uh, trade away, barring some sort of pick swap situation, which I I have no idea how to value a pick swap with Milwaukee, depending on whether Giannis stays or whether Giannis goes. All indications are that he stays, but uh, you never know. And that's part of the reason why people would speculate on a pick swap in the first place. So, yeah, there's not a lot to work with. One of the guidelines that you have to make with any Bucks trade is that you have to bring in something that's going to actually help change the team for the better. So that means you're finding a point guard that can contribute on offense. You're finding a big man that has switchability and versatility on defense. You're finding somebody who has all-star level talent, even if they aren't currently an all-star or were recently an all-star and only weren't because of injuries or other situations that are out of their control. Um, you have to be creative. Sometimes you have to involve a third team, almost always the Knicks, because of course the Knicks. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it was really difficult coming up with that many trade proposals, but, but once I basically, once I went through the list of, uh, guards, I primarily started with guards that I thought would be both beneficial for the bucks to have in some way, shape or form and somewhat gettable. Like you're not going to find a Dame Lillard or a Steph Curry trade proposal on here. That's just not feasible. But people like Chris Paul, who the team has been connected to, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who has been widely reported as interesting, uh, other guys like uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Zach Levine, Derek Rose, Kyle Lowry, the, the trade that uh, you mentioned earlier, Adam, which honestly, you just got, you had a bad draw. You had the Chris Paul trade in the first round. Like, it's just the way the, way the cookie crumbles sometimes. I. You know, it's it's whatever. Yeah, you know, you can get Chris Paul, uh, the playoff choker, or you can get the guy who has delivered in the playoffs the last couple of years. Um, and that's fine. I, I get it. I get it. I'm going to stand for the Chris Paul trade later on. So, 
I just don't understand how the okay, I can kind of see how the Ola Depot trade has made it as far as it has, but I personally think it should have lost in the first round for the Drew Holiday, Dennis Smith Jr. Because I think I'm the only person that actually thinks Dennis Smith Jr. has some value. But I think that the Old Depot one, do you think it's because of the name of just because it is Victor Old Depot who people know? They know who he is. He was a top five pick. He was an all-star and all-NBA. You know, he is a talented player, but do you think it was the name alone? Or why, you know, what trades, I guess, have you seen become gotten further in the tournament or not as far in the tournament what which one has surprised you mm-hmm. sure so yeah let's talk about the drew holiday trade for a minute because through my very very sophisticated ranking system which was completely subjective and basically made up on the fly just to give some order to them um spoiler uh, i thought the drew holiday trade was honestly gonna make it really far i thought it was gonna make it to the current round we're in the final four of voting right now i think the polls close either tuesday or wednesday i don't remember but i'm also not running an actual election um, but I thought that he was going to make it a lot further because honestly, of all the players identified, he's the player who has the highest level of overall talent and is also feasible in terms of acquiring. The only problem is that New Orleans also knows that and values him accordingly, and the cost for Drew Holiday is extremely high. So for the, the proposal I put together where Drew Holiday would come to the Bucks along with Dennis Smith Jr. from the Knicks, Milwaukee would have to send out Eric Bledsoe, who ended up in New York, Brooke Lopez, who ended up in uh, New Orleans. So right, two starters that are down. Ursan Ilyasova would also go to New Orleans. We would send out the Indy first. We would send out that 2024 first that we just got done talking about. So two first round picks. And that's a high price to pay. You know, New York would be involved just to be able to upgrade from Dennis Smith Jr. to Eric Bledsoe for the small cost of a second round pick that they get recouped from the Pelicans in that proposal. That's just a lot to pay. It's a lot to pay for a guy who, it, honestly, he just is not an all-star. He made one all-star team back when he was in Philly, I think. And Yeah, he, he made it over Brandon Jennings, which I'm surprised we're even talking about this because we should all be personally offended on behalf sure. of Jennings, the fact that he was not able to make the all-star game. You're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. But if you <laughs> compare the price that it takes to acquire Drew Holiday with the price that it took to acquire Victor Oladipo in the proposal I put together, which involved uh, sending out just Bledsoe, the Indy first, and a future second. Like, that's way less. That's just remarkably cheaper from an asset perspective. I think that the trade-off there is because Victor Oladipo has that injury history, so coming back from that quad injury, looked terrible for the regular season action he did get with Indiana, uh, and only has one year left in his contract, and as far as I understand, has been reported to have significant interest in there they are again, the Miami Heat. Um, I just I don't see a team being willing to pay a ton in terms of uh, decent players and draft capital for essentially what could be a one year rental. But it was you know the price ended up being wrong for Holiday and ended up being right for Oladipo. So that again, just like with the Lowry trade that we made fun of Adam for, uh, it's it was just a bad matchup between the Oladipo package and the Drew Holiday package. So kind of moving off of that, my, my next question would be, now that we're in the final four, I mean, so your number one overall pick, Luke Kennard and Derek Rose for essentially Eric in like a couple of seconds, that made it to the final four. Are yep. you surprised that so many of the lower seeds made it into the final rankings? Do you think there's any particular reason? I, you've probably been following the comments a little bit closer than I have from post to post, but is there any particular reason you think that unites those 
lower seeded picks that kind of pushed them to the final four now, or was that just kind of like a, the bracket sort of situation that got them there? Sure. I think the bracket is definitely part of what led those lower seeds to have more success than you would otherwise expect in an actual tournament. Um, but let's think about it a couple of different ways. First of all, uh, the trades that involved sending out Eric Bledsoe were infinitely more popular than the trades that sent out Brooke Lopez. And that makes sense because Brooke Lopez is more important to this team than Eric Bledsoe is. Overall, he's maybe a better player, especially relative to his peers at the position. And it's just not a price that people were willing to pay. The second thing is that draft pick. By, I mean, there's there's definitely some picks where you know sending out that first is a necessary evil in order to get the upgrade that you need. But the Bucks don't have draft assets, and they don't have any of them anytime soon. Which means that the path to adding cost-controlled players, young contributors that are going to hopefully outperform their salary, is just really really difficult. And so this is your one shot to get a young player that you can control on a rookie scale contract for four years. Obviously basketball players are people and they deserve, you know, the chance to flourish in whatever their environment is. And it's kind of dehumanizing to talk about them as just salary assets, but sometimes this is the way the business side of basketball talks about it. So it's important to recognize that as a necessity. Uh, and so losing on that pick is also just a better pill to swallow. And then there's just the third thing, and this is probably the most important points on this topic. There's not a ton of, of targets out there in the league that are both talented enough to make a major difference for Milwaukee and simultaneously realistic targets. That's part of the reason why Chris Paul didn't get very much traction is because yeah, Chris Paul is the kind of player that the Bucks need. He's an excellent ball handler, excellent um, initiator of the offense, you know, steady defender, even if he's undersized, like he's the kind of guy that you need to lead the offense late in the playoff, you know, his own playoff uh, resume aside, he's the kind of guy this team needs to really diversify their offense. But Paul himself, between his injury history and the money left on his deal and what it would take to actually pry him away from Oklahoma City is just prohibitively high. Ditto for Drew Holiday. You know, even Victor Oladipo, like giving up that first is something that people didn't really want to do. And so if you can find a way to get a, just a stopgap guard somebody that can play the position that isn't Eric Bledsoe without giving up the pick, without giving up Dante, you know, without giving up anything other than Bledsoe, people just gravitated towards that. And I think that was one of the really the major drivers for all the upsets that we saw in the bracket so far. Yeah. One of the ones that made the final four was the San Antonio Spurs, you know, with Patty getting Patty Mills. And I think it was Derek White. Do yep. you think I and I think that's an interesting one because I didn't really consider I figured Patty Mills is a good enough player and the Spurs would want more. And I think of that one, I think the Bucks had to give up uh Bledsoe, the first Indy's first pick, first round pick, and then 2022. So not that much was given away. Do you think that kind of mentioning your reasons before that's why that particular Patty Mills trade has made as far as it did? Yeah, I think so. Uh, because, you know, you get to move, you get to move Eric, and you get a different point guard in this place than Patty Mills. And Patty Mills would be a really good get for this team because he's he's not a great defender. He's not even that good of a distributor, but he's a very good scorer. You know, g- good shooter in multiple different facets on the offense, and so he by himself is a good player to add. Um, but Derek White could again. This is all theoretical, but Derek White acquiring him could be a way to kind of relieve San Antonio of the logjam they have of all those young guards that they have on that roster between him and Lonnie Walker and Bryn Forbes 
and I know I'm forgetting one or two other guys that like have you know a decent amount of upside, uh, and just kind of are stuck together right now in the Spurs. And so by giving them Bledsoe, who is right now a better player, he's the best player in the deal, if we're being honest. So giving them the best player in the deal and giving them draft capital, not just a, a first right now, but also a future second, you know, that's a decent haul for a team that needs to rebuild right now in San Antonio. And they need assets to do that appropriately. Um, and so I think the combination of all those things, you know, Derek White's a young player, so he's, you know, got some chance to develop. Maybe he's the quote unquote point guard of the future in Milwaukee. Uh, I just, I think that it checks enough of those boxes where every time it was matched up against something that had a more glaring weakness, it was able to prevail. I think even right now in the final four, uh, it's got a pretty healthy lead over the uh, the other one. I think that one's going to actually make it to the finals, which was surprising. Now, one more thing on this for the bracket. I, I think we could probably go around all four of us here, but was there any particular potential trade obviously you felt all of them close to heart because you came up with them except for the Kyle Lowry one which you might dislike just because Adam came up with it but if you were to choose out of the other 15 was there a different trade that didn't make it to the final four it could even be one of them in the final four that you were really you personally liked the most or one of the players involved is there something that really jumped out to you that you're like I really like this deal even if it might not mm -hmm. be realistic or whatever it is yeah there actually is one and I happen to think it's fairly realistic uh, it was the 10 seed in this exercise it was a trade with the grizzlies where we would send out george hill and the 2022 indiana second in exchange for tyus jones and my rationale for it was this in memphis john morant is the franchise and the future at the point guard position as he should be that guy is really good he's going to be good for a long time as long as he is able to stay healthy um and so by pairing him with george hill they get to stabilize their point guard position a little bit. They get that veteran contributor. Hill's not going to be healthy for more than half the season anyway, but he, he's a Hill's a good floor raiser for that Grizzlies roster. Um, and so I think that he would find himself in a really good situation there and sending the draft pick, the future second, and you know, kind of greases the wheels in exchange for Tyus Jones, who is by himself not you know a flashy addition but he is a very capable ball handler very capable creator on offense decent shooter he's a little undersized um and therefore you know not terribly imposing on defense which is something the bucks would have to figure out but he gives milwaukee that versatility on offense and the ability to adapt whenever the wall gets set up in the postseason that's what one of my keys for the Bucks' success in the playoffs next year, they have to figure out a way to credibly get the ball out of Giannis's hands. And what I mean by that is they need somebody to initiate the offense that isn't Giannis and isn't Chris, somebody that actually is a threat to break down the defense off the dribble, which Tyus Jones is, and Eric Bledsoe even is, at least in terms of getting past the first defender. What happens then is anybody's guess, including Eric's himself. But they, they need somebody that isn't Giannis or Chris to initiate so that Giannis can set up behind the wall. So he can set up like on the corner and move to the block or move to the high post or something and stop initiating from all the way outside the arc. Because yeah, Giannis can't blow past anybody, but he's blowing past that one dude into three other dudes. And then if your teammates can't make their shots, you lose four, two in the second round. Mm -hmm. And that's just what happened. And they need something different. They need to be able to adapt more in the playoffs and a player like Tyus Jones would do that. It just underscores the importance of improving specifically on offense at the point guard position. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I like Jones a lot too. I liked him a lot when he was in Minnesota. I got to see him quite a few times when we're up in the Tim, when I was able to go see the Timberwolves. So I like him a lot. Um, I like that trade. The other one that if I was to choose another favorite, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting flipped off by my Wisconsin Badger compatriots. I'm sure it's uh, has nothing to do with uh, painful history or anything like that. But of the other trades, if I was to pick another favorite one, and this this hurts me deep because it involves the Bulls, but I thought the Zach Levine uh, trade was interesting mm-hmm. just because um, I, I understand why people, and by people I mean Adam, wouldn't want to move up with Dante because potential all-star that you already have on your roster. But I thought the potential of a guy where you get rid of Eric, uh, you're going to have to figure out a point guard situation, which is difficult, but you get like a three-level score. Um and maybe he's mm-hmm. a little too in love with the mid range. He's a little too in love with holding onto the ball himself. So you'd have to work around that. But I was, that was a something that piqued my interest. Just because, as much as I love Dante, um, I still think even after this past season, there are questions about like how effective doing stuff is as like a, a long term value proposition. And like he didn't have a great playoff series against the Heat, for example. I don't know if you could really hold it against him because it was essentially his rookie season. But the, if if all it took was Eric and then tossing in Dante, um, I, I think I might be interested in that. But that was my other kind of favorite one that I got eliminated early of the potential options. I don't know, Kyle and Adam, do you guys have any trades that you really liked? I mean, I already mentioned I really liked the Drew Holiday one, but I understood. I, I understand why someone would be hesitant, but I just figured you're regardless of if Giannis signs or not, this is probably this next season is most likely your last chance to really compete for a title and contend for a title. So you have to get as good of a player as you can. And I think Drew Holiday is better than Eric Bledsoe. I also like the Spencer Dinwiddie trade. It was interesting just because you're not giving up too much. I mean, you are giving up Dante, which would be unfortunate. And you're giving up Ursula Silva, which would be fine. And I think Spencer Dinwiddie is just, he's an interesting player in that I feel like because if he's not relying, if he's not going to be the guy, he can be a great fourth option he can kind of fill in that Wes Matthews role but be able to do a little bit more than Wes and I think he was an intriguing player someone that's like it seems like he's always just good but no no one ever says he's a bad player but no one's you know singing rave reviews about him no one's saying you know it's there's a reason why he's not the talked about net on that team normally it's probably Karis LeVert so I think he was just a guy that it was just interesting and I think he would fit a role that Wes Matthews would leave. I think he would fill in perfectly for the Bucs. And I think that was another one that seeing that one get eliminated as early as it did was a little bit shocking as well. I think for me, did anyone stand for the Chris Paul? No, trade not yet. yet? You're the first one. Okay. All right. Well, I, I personally, I mean, in terms of the stuff the Bucs are sacrificing, it's a little depth, I guess, Robin Lopez, which doesn't seem like too much. Giving up a first-round pick this year, which kind of hurts, I guess. Losing Eric Bledsoe, and DJ Wilson, not too much. I mean, you're basically sacrificing two future second-round picks in this year's first. You'd still get next year's first-round pick. I guess I think what surprised me most about how this um, bracket proposal exercise has gone at Brew Hoop is that it still feels like people are in the um, shuffle the deck chairs a little, get an able steward at point guard, and then we're, we're put over the top. And uh, I, I'm just not necessarily sure how much I believe that anymore um, about this Milwaukee Bucks team. I also am finding myself less and less invested of maintaining a little bit of flexibility for the future, at least at this point. I, I think 
I think at some point they need to decide what it is that they want to do. And I mean, if you get Chris Paul and the Bucks win the championship and Giannis leaves, um, I'd be really, really disappointed, but we won the championship and that's really the whole goal of it. Um, and I, I, I mean, there have been moves they've made in the past that haven't worked out and obviously Chris Paul could get hurt and there's tons of questions with that kind of stuff. But um, I guess I don't see a ton of downsides, at least in terms of how the trade is set up within the bracket itself for the Chris Paul deal. Yeah. The Chris Paul trade, I think because he is the biggest name on there. Um, and, and again, he is that archetype. How dare you disrespect John Wall like that? What are you doing right now? <laughs> I mean, Chris is longer than John. So I'm going to go off of a technicality there. Um, but he, he is the archetypal point guard that the Bucks should look to add in terms of his ability to contribute on offense, how he contributes, how he can, really you know, create something from nothing because of just how good of a creator he is. Um, and it's, it's just a matter, it's a matter of price and a matter of whether or not the Bucks want to deal with it. I know that uh, Eric Name and Sam Amick reported that, uh, you know, Chris Paul was very interested in joining Milwaukee. And Milwaukee was a little more lukewarm about adding Chris Paul. Uh, my, uh, my own personal read on that is that the Bucks have a very specific type of guy that they want to add. Uh, I believe, I think it was Chris that said at one point they have a no assholes rule. They just don't add any assholes. Chris Paul's an asshole. All right. Like, let's just get that out of the way. There's lots of players that were great players that are assholes. Like that's not a bad thing. It just goes against what the Bucks want to add. And, you know, if you consider locker room chemistry as one of the things that you point to towards Giannis for why he would want to stay around long-term, is a season with Chris Paul working in your favor or against you? I think it's a question that you know only he can answer, but it's a question that deserves to be asked when you're weighing these proposals against each other. Yeah, I can certainly understand that. I, I, I think some of the the I don't know why, but the some of the floofy locker room chemistry stuff um, for me, I feel like it kind of got burned at the stake in the Nikola Mirotic year. I felt like that was like the most fuzzy year we could even imagine. It was the absolute dream season. And then when it all came down to it, um, it didn't really matter that they had great team chemistry. Like they all collapsed in the, in the end. Um, you know, I think it was old resorter who made the comparison that like, you know, Chris Paul might kind of be like bringing in Oscar Robertson way back in the day. I mean, a prickly point guard who hasn't quite put any, you know, any team over the top for a really long time. It's really difficult because I also know personally as a Bucks fan, I would get really sick of Chris Paul watching him every night. I 100% know that because I'm already sick of him. But I, I'm, I'm just curious, like everyone's here, opinion here, in terms of these trades, a couple of them bring someone in who's better than Chris Middleton, but most of them don't. And I, I'm just curious if you guys think that that means that they'll be able to put themselves over the top. I... I go back and forth just because it's really hard to find a player better than Chris Middleton that's available. I don't even know if there if Chris Paul is better than Chris Middleton. I think what Chris Paul does at his job is very, very good, but as an overall player, I don't know if he's better than Chris Middleton. And it's just so hard to find that out there that's available unless you trade a King's Ransom for it and which the Bucks don't even have – the assets to do that. So I think it's just tough. I think the reason why Chris Paul is so good, I think if his contract was less damning, Milwaukee would make that trade in a heartbeat because I think they could shoulder a little bit less on the financial side, but his contract is so high that I think is the biggest barrier. And 
I mean, I've been saying it all summer or summer, fall, whatever. If you got to start George Hill at point guard and have a different backup, that's fine. It's just Eric Bledsoe is not going to be the point guard that gets Milwaukee to the championship or win a championship. You have to move on from it. It hasn't worked for pretty much three seasons now. You got to move on from it. And I think that's that's kind of my thought. So I don't know. It's too hard to find someone that's better than Chris Middleton. Chris Paul's the closest singer to get. And I don't know. It's that's kind of the tough part with this whole offseason is you want to make an upgrade, but in order to make an upgrade, you probably need to get a player that is on Chris Middleton's level or better. And that's just not there. You know, for me, as the offseason has gone along and we've been removed from the immediate pain of getting bounced and like immediately in the second round. Um, I mean, obviously, like we said, like Mitchell said before, Eric is sort of persona non grata around here. I think a lot of the issues with the team does kind of fall on his shoulders to a certain extent. Um, for me, I, I guess I'm continued to be more concerned about Budenholzer and there's no trade that's going to happen to like fix Budenholzer. Um, and so when you weigh that against like, do you want to go all out, totally restructure the team to get a Chris Paul type and introduce the, uh, the asshole uh, equation into the equation, um, even though all the other things that he brings on the floor is a net positive. I, I wonder if maybe we could look at this where I'm coming to a point where if we could find like semi-decent talent, it could be like a 2B to, to Chris's 2A or however you want to word it or even just a three guy. And if Budenholzer is able to and willing, and I know that's a big if, to adjust and give the guys a little bit more freedom. And and what was it about the first year under Budenholzer that really, the fact that nobody was ready for his system, and you could argue that nobody was still ready for his defensive system in the second year, but we've seen two seasons in a row now where the best player on the team got shut down by a wall to a certain extent, and everybody else kind of went cold. And there was no real... Until our backs were against the wall, there was no real counter to that. And so my hope is at this point, you don't have to go all out. One, because it seems like the Chris Paul trade is off the board, which I think did not help with its rankings in the bracket as well as like the whole trail had gone cold. But like, I'm not sure if you necessarily need to restructure the whole thing. If you're able to get something because your options are limited, just if it can get back to the coach and utilizing the talent that's already on the roster and a slight upgrade over Chris, a, a more traditional point guard, however that goes, that's kind of where I'm at. And so I'm moving away slowly from like the big Chris Paul deals or like anybody who suggests like a Bradley Beal. I know that doesn't make sense for like Washington to take on Chris or whatever, but I, I'm more reticent about those just because I think there's still enough talent here. It just comes down to can the coaching staff and can the coach use it, right? Because we have the MVP and we have Chris who's really good. Like we get a point guard who doesn't totally disappear. That that's tough to have a point guard that you essentially is like a, a shadow out there. Like that's just tough to overcome. And if we can find somebody who can be a half upgrade over that in the playoffs, I think that might be enough to get them over the top. Yeah, it's just about diversity of your tool set. Like Chris Middleton is an extremely diverse scorer because he can do so much damage behind the three point arc and for mid range. And Giannis is one of the best players in the entire league, one of the best scorers in the entire league, but Giannis is a one-level scorer. Giannis is a sledgehammer. And a lot of times when all you have is a hammer and your problems start to look like nails, you know, that doesn't solve every problem. And so diversification of the offense and what you can do, even if you're not adding a player that by themselves is a higher ranked talent than Chris Middleton, even if you are adding somebody like a Derrick Rose 
or you're adding somebody like Tyus Jones, we mentioned before, or uh, if you, you we go back to free agency, we talk about who's available for those paltry sums of the middle level exceptions, somebody like DJ Augustine. Like those are players that can change how you play offense. So even if by themselves they are not better as talents, they might essentially force you to adapt more, which is good. The team needs to adapt more and just make you better able at adaptation. And I think that that matters a great deal. And we saw that when they flamed out in the second round. And I think the point about Giannis being a hammer, it's like with the Eric situation is like, what if you had a big hammer and then what if you had like a smaller hammer and like you just use both hammers to hit nails? Like that's the, that's the main issue that we've been dealing with. And like the whole, I think it's, folly to go the exact opposite be like if we just said Giannis and four Kyle Corvers we definitely win a finals I don't think that's the solution either but I think having two hammers especially when the big hammer is like the big hammer like he is the guy it's tough to have like a second hammer out there and be like we're gonna it, I, I know the hammer's gonna every once in a while take a possession 2.5 seconds of the possession and jack up a pull-up jumper uh, from three and clang it but like that's the stylistic problem. And so that, and again, this all comes down to, that's why all, almost every single trade has Eric included in it. Everybody recognizes it. Like we just can't, it would be, I don't know if it'd be madness necessarily, but it would be interesting if we're going into next season and Eric is still on the roster. Like I just think of all the roster tinkering, if you can just find something different there, I think that's kind of what this exercise has driven home, driven home for me. And I think that's what a lot of the discussions everybody's had is kind of also pointed to as well. I think what this has shown me is we probably value Eric Bledsoe a lot less than teams out there probably do. And maybe it's because we've, we all have emotional attachment to seeing it crash and burn three straight postseasons. So we just think that Eric Bledsoe is, has absolutely no value. He's in the DJ Wilson area of there's no possible way we can move this guy. And yet he is, a, and like we've said, he is a good basketball player. He does bring something. I mean, he, he has all the, all defense. He has, he can get to the hoop. He's got even the durability that we were questioning when we first got him. He's shown that he's when healthy, he's played, but I think we just are valuing a lot lower than I'd say a different, a team outside of even the Eastern Conference. I think if you were to ask a Kings fan, they probably speak a little bit more highly of Eric Bledsoe than we would. If you talk to any other team outside of Philly, because Philly doesn't know what a point guard is, they at least would value it. So I guess that's what I've learned is we are a lot lower on Eric Bledsoe and his value than probably 29 other teams. For the sake of my happiness, uh, Lord, I hope he gets traded to Philly. I would love to see the Philly fans just watch him implode after years of not even having a point guard. Gosh, that'd be good. Wow. How would you feel? Oh. Would you be in the stand? So obviously this is depending on COVID. Obviously I doubt you would be in the stands, but it would be kind of full circle if you could be in the stands to greet Eric upon his first, you know, first home game as a sixer. And just really hype everywhere like he's the future. This is going to unlock the offense for you guys. I think that would be a beautiful story to see you in the stands there. Oh my god, I would absolutely shout at every single uh, you know pull up that he misses just by a little um, quick two early in the shot clock. I mean, like him and Joel and B dueling to get their shots off earliest from far, really far away from the basket would just be just. So I need beautiful. this to happen, guys. Oh. I didn't know I needed this. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I don't like the one thing keeping me from going all the way in on it is that I like Eric like as a person. Like he seems like it's just a good dude. I don't want to send him to Philly. Like, come on, man. Let's not do that to him. I feel like sending it to the Knicks is worse. Well, also, yeah, that's Nick, true. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is brutal. Yeah, but they got they got good food in the city. I'm just saying. Better food in New York than in Philly. Cheesesteaks accepted. Cheesesteaks are delightful. I can't comment on that. Okay. All right. Yeah, that I mean them them's are fighting words. Uh, I, I, I know you were out here for a while, Mitchell, and I know um obviously you you indulged in the in the Philly delights, but I it we've we've stepped our game up a little bit, I think, um potentially then when you were out here. Oh God, I'm seething a little now. Now I'm down. Now you got the Philly fan in me coming back out. Oh no. Look, at least you didn't mention the horse poop. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I do want to mention one more thing. And for the trade proposal bracket, one of the ones you had in here, Mitchell, was the Bogdan sign and trade. Um, and we also saw sort of that report from Zach Lowe about potentially a Bogdan yeah. sign and trade with Harrison Barnes included. I was just curious mm-hmm. your thoughts on that and how you think maybe that might have performed. Obviously, it's hard to know, but how you think that might have done in the in the bracket. I think in the bracket, it probably would have lost in the first or second round because I think people would have chafed at having to add uh, Harrison Barnes's money on top of hard capping yourself while adding a player in Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's good, but may not be the guy that's really going to bring you over the hump. But consider, consider this. I think, and this is after having talked to some people about it, I think that there is a path where adding – Bogdanovich on the sign trade and Barnes, essentially accepting Barnes and his salary being the incentive for Sacramento to make the deal along with not locking himself in the Bogdanovich contract. But you could make that deal with just Bledsoe, Ursan, DJ, and Robin Lopez, and that's it. You get to keep the pick, you get to keep Dante, and all of a sudden you have your two guard of the future, you have your backup forward solution ready-made for the next couple of years. Since Harrison Barnes is a little overpaid, but Harrison Barnes is good. He's good, mm-hmm. he's By versatile, t- decent defender. Uh, I think that that trade it would be a sneaky contender because of the amount that you get along with keeping the assets, i.e. Dante and the indie pick. Sorry, DJ, you're not really an asset even if I called you that before. Yeah, I had the opposite reaction. Everybody's like, oh, we have to include Harrison Barnes. I was like, if this is all we have to include to get Harrison Barnes to him, like, it's not my money. Like, how do I care? Of course I want Harrison Barnes on the team, too. Let's go. But here's an important consideration because, you know, if you sign Bogdanovich, it's probably going to be somewhere in the the, the way I've been thinking about it. It's going to get four years, $70 million, right? So his contract is probably going to start like 16 per. And Barnes is making something like 22. And so, if you're adding salary, I think that trade, the one that I just laid out, the the Bogdanovich sign trade with Barnes in return for Bledsoe, Urson, Robin, and DJ, I think you're adding $5 million in salary overall. And that means, if I go back to my earlier calculations, that even if they do raise the apron, you're only you're less than $5 million under the tax apron, right? And so you have $5 million to fill... We already have three spots opening up, four if you consider Marvin Williams as retirement, between Marvin Williams, Kyle Korver, Pat Connaughton, uh, and Sterling Brown. 
Those guys are probably all gone. So you've got those four spots opening up. You're sending out four players to get two. So now you've got six spots open. And you have $5 million to fill six roster spots. I don't know if that's going to get it done, my guys. Well, Make the it, beauty of it. You could just pull what the Lakers just did and what the Miami Heat did all those years and just find a bunch of dudes on vet mint. Like, just make it work. Finagle your way through it. Even still, the, even if you sign like the oldest player and they only count for one point seven mil, like if you only have five mil to work with, that's that's like Two three. Five you're still, like you're going to be playing with three empty chairs on the bench. Yeah, and we all know Bud loves his depth. Mm-hmm. You can really take that away from him. Maybe that's a good. Yes, thing. Maybe, maybe that's, that's a good thing. No, I think I think that's a super good point. I guess I didn't really think about that. Uh, hopefully, they have Jeff Teague on the line immediately after the deal goes down. Like, hey, Jeff, I hear you want to win. We got a spot for you. Um, the other thing I'm curious and what's going to be difficult. I don't know if we've heard anything about like the CBA negotiations. If there's going to be any sort of special contracts tossed in for like COVID possibilities, anything happening amongst the team? Because like during the bubble, they're like, oh. If a guy opts out of the team, just it opts out going into the bubble because of health concerns or whatever, no big deal. You can sign somebody else. Um, I don't know if there's like been any sort of scuttlebutt about anything along those lines at all. Probably not at this point, but uh, if be there is, different if there is, I'm not tapped into it to know if there's any sort of uh, addendums being put into place okay. for that. It makes sense. They should do something to give the teams maximum flexibility. Um, but you know, even with COVID, like the Bucks made their bed. And now they can rustle the sheets up a little bit to get it more comfortable, but they're going to have to sleep in it sooner or later. And that's that's the through line of the trade bracket was they can they can just rustle a bit rustle their bedspread. That's all they can do at this point. I think that's the perfect way to go out uh, from our first segment. So we're going to take a quick break here. Then on the other side, we'll close out with our miscellaneous topic. So stay tuned. All right, fellas, we're back. It's time for uh, our final miscellaneous topics to close it out. So, uh, Mitchell, you're going to have to be a part of the rapid-fire questions here. So um, prepare yourself. I'm ready. All right. First one. You could grab drinks with any buck ever. Who would it be? Oh, Brandon Jennings. Absolutely. Are you kidding? Brandon Jennings is like one of my – I have an irrational love for all things Brandon Jennings. That would absolutely be my choice. It's not the right choice, but it's my choice. Honestly, I feel like Marcus Johnson would be a good one. I feel like the stories he'd be able to tell would be high quality. He would just – it would be great just to like sit there at the bar. He'd just tell all of his stories. You're sitting – you're just sitting there. I think it would be a good time with Marcus Johnson. Uh, mine, so you already took my Mitchell with Brandon Jennings because that was my instant, my gut check as well. Uh, since Brandon Jennings is off the board, I'd probably go for Larry just because you get the club atmosphere, but you also get in fist fights with Albanians. So uh, I guess that, that would be that would be the reason why I'd go for Larry uh, if Brandon Jennings is off the board. Right. I want to make it home, you guys. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> we all, that's Riley's aesthetic. Okay. All right. Next one. Um, how do you like your eggs? Scrambled. Over easy. Scrambled. Scrambled good. Well, okay, question. I, a sidebar. Is toast a part of the equation or is it just eggs? Uh, yeah, it's toast. Yeah, there's toast. Okay, Scrambled. is it is it like good bread or is it just like whatever <laughs> supermarket bread? Because that matters. Mitchell, it's supermarket bread. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, then scrambled. It's Wonder Bread. Everyone's scrambled? Oh, come the on. Issue, oh, here's the issue with the question, right? Because the only form of egg I can make at home is scrambled because I'm incompetent with a lot of the other types. I know it's not hard, but I can't do it. So then when I go to like places that like I go to a diner or whatever, I'm just like, well, obviously I'm going to go for scramble because that's just what I get. So that's my issue is my horizons are not wide because I'm incompetent. So it's a question exposing my flaws, which is why I respond immediate with scrambled. See, the easy thing with scrambled eggs is you can put salt, you put pepper, you can put cheese on it, you can put hot sauce on it, you can put anything Mm. on that scrambled egg and it elevates the scrambled egg. I feel like if you do any other type, it reduces your options. Maybe you can throw some avocado on there. Maybe some, you know, yeah, that's basically it. I feel like with every other egg, avocado, maybe cheese, but. Now here's the thing though. Scrambled eggs, high floor, low ceiling. If you get yourself a good over easy mm-hmm. with that runny yolk, and you put it over like some good high quality bread that is toasted, or I'm going to tell you guys a secret. Here's something that's straight from my kitchen to yours. Tater tots. You get some tater tots, you crisp them up for about 18 minutes in the toaster oven, you sprinkle some cheese on them before you put the eggs on top, and all of a sudden you've got yourself a breakfast treat. My follow-up question to that for the for the room, just real quick, in or out omelets? I'm actually that is That is the ultimate. It's either going to be great or <laughs> it's awful. Terrible. Yeah. There is no in between. <laughs> yeah. Depends on who's making it. No. Yeah. Yeah, super out on omelets. Thanks for following up, Riley. That's good. No um, all right. <clears throat> so the Bucks are in the playoffs next year. There's You only get one Eastern Conference team to choose that's going to be the most satisfying to beat in a playoff series. Who do you want the Bucks to beat in a playoff series? Eastern Conference. Oh, you said, you said rapid fire. This is a doozy. I, the questions. this is an easy answer. It's got to be the Raptors. It's got to be the Raptors. They were the ones we've had multiple series with them. The Celtics, we blew the doors off of them in two years, whatever, a year ago. So that's already been put to bed, in my opinion. The Raptors, we've gotten bounced. The Thon Maker year, when I thought after that series, Thon Maker was ascending to the heavens, didn't happen, unfortunately. But And then last year, getting bounced in the Eastern Conference Finals, we have to hear all the time about like, oh, well, if the Bucks had just beaten the Raptors, they would have been the champions. And then we have to deal with like, all this vulture talk, the fact that Masai Ujiri is Giannis's sixth father figure. So then he's going to go to Toronto because I'm tired with it. If I'm choosing any team to beat, it's going to be the Raptors, just so we can finally put it to rest and finally figure out some sort of resolution to it. That's who I'm picking. I'm going Boston. One, <laughs> fuck Boston fans. They're the worst. That's Two, fair. For all the talk about the Boston Celtics and how great they are, they've won, what, one title in the last 30 years. They have not really done anything to justify all this hype they get. So mm-hmm. to knock them off their perch again would be great. And there's no excuse. They can't say, oh, well, Kyrie, you know, did Kyrie things. To, and that's why they lost. Like, I want to see Brad Stevens lose because I don't think Brad, Brad Stevens is a fine coach. He's not this boy genius Pete Buttigieg looking bum that everyone makes him out to be. <laughs> I don't want it. I, I need Jason Tatum to be humbled. Every time the Bucks play him, they make him look like the Walmart brand of Kobe Bryant. Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> <And> lastly, <laughs> it's just 
if there's any team that it would be funny to see the fans get pissed off and say that the rest are conspiring against. Also, Jalen Brown would then be able to put all his Instagram stories about the rest being unfair, even though that's a load of crap and everyone mm-hmm. knows it outside of Lakers fans would acknowledge it. No, it's got to be Boston for all of those reasons. Uh, I'm going to give my answer. And, and Adam, I want to basically make up for my blasphemy regarding Philadelphia because I will admit this. Philadelphia is the worthy team. I shouldn't say Philadelphia, but I'm not going to. Because for me, most satisfying, I want the New York Knicks to get built back up to reach the <laughs> heights that their fans are convinced that they deserve and then to get completely disassembled and thrust back into the bottomless pit where they belong. Mm-hmm. Because Nick's schadenfreude is my life force. That's all <laughs> I need to survive in this crazy world is for the Knicks to continually fail. Nothing would please me more than for an Eastern Conference Finals featuring Milwaukee and New York and New York getting swept by like 30 a game. That is just, ooh. I gotta go With Eric, Eric Bledsoe's the, their point guard, it comes full circle. <laughs> and James Dolan will never sell the team. Yes, and never, never, ever. <laughs> Adam, who would be yours? Would it have to be Philly? Because – I don't remember, were you in Philly for the Christmas game this past year? Because that was brutal for me. I think it was brutal for everybody to experience that. Would Philly be your I was totally fine because I didn't watch because Sterling was born that day. So I did not That's care. true. Kyle was busy. But would Philly be your team, Adam? Yeah, so the Christmas game, I was in Charleston visiting family, and I did okay. bet $50. And I told my <laughs> wife to bet $50 as well on the game. Um and then we lost by a lot, but um, mm-hmm. I mean, for for personal reasons, it would have to be. I mean, it would just be so much fun to walk around this city <laughs> in jersey. I mean, I went to I went to one game one time, and we weren't even good. Like we, I don't know, it was like the Jason Kidd years, and I was just walking around in a jersey, and they were like, "Hey, you suck!" Oh, both of the worst. And I was just like, I mean, we just got we just lost by thirty or something. I mean, what are you what are you even talking about? Of course we suck. I know we suck. You don't need to tell me. And the worst part, the best part, would be getting to see all of them turn so quickly on their team after and and go go from the height of heights where Ben Simmons goes for like fifteen points. Uh, eight rebounds and nine assists, and they're like, I think he I, he's clearly Giannis, right? He's clearly Giannis. They win, they win, they go up 1-0, and then we just run it back, and each each loss just sends them into a further pit of despair until they mm-hmm. say it's time to dismantle this from the top down. It's true. There's no fan base that busts the knives out quicker on their own team when things go sideways. I mean, we're a close second, all things being honest. We're a close second, but Philly, they go hard. You're like, I, have, man, I, have, I have a quick Philly story. I have a quick Philly story. Maybe like 12 years ago, I was in Philadelphia for other reasons, and I got taken to an Eagles game. It was an Eagles-Giants game. And <laughs> uh, the person that I went with gave me an Eagles jersey. It was a Brian Dawkins jersey to wear. I was like, okay, cool. Like, I don't mind – Brian Dawkins, uh, who's a really good player. Somehow, I got heckled for wearing a Brian Dawkins jersey at Lincoln Field. Like, where I didn't understand what was going on. Like, I look like I'm just some random white dude, so I'm like 95% of Eagles fans that were in attendance that day. But they somehow were making fun of me. And I, I to this day, I don't know why. It vexes me. <laughs> Oh. Was it Philly fan on Philly fan like violence that you were you were getting subjected to? New York or was it New York Giants fans? 
No, it was Philly fans. New York did come back and win that game in overtime, so that might be part of it. But <laughs> okay, yeah, right. it is, okay. It is, it, I will say this. I will say this. It takes a special kind of person to be able to survive in the Philly sports environment because I mm-hmm. don't think I could do it. Oh, all right. That was good. Okay, <clears throat> next one. Favorite in stadium snack. You're going to a game. Favorite in stadium snack. Are we saying sorry? Are we saying basketball arenas? Because there's a difference just for basketball, right? Yeah, like, yeah. going to a Bucks game. Yeah, let's go. Let's say basketball. Oh, man, that's a tough one. I don't know. I would say like any sort of sporting events. I don't. I rarely eat hot dogs. Any sort of sporting events, mm. depending on if I've eaten anything beforehand, like a hot dog and like some chips or like a soda or something. It's classic. It's nothing crazy. Um, but I think a lot of sports teams are doing a little too much anyhow with their offerings. So just give me the classic hot dog with like a drink or something. I, I'm easy to please. Yeah, my gut, my gut reaction was nachos. But honestly, the last few times I've gotten nachos, I just remember how bad and disappointing they were. Because mm-hmm. like the cheese sauce congeals on the bottom and the nachos <laughs> themselves get soggy. And there's way more jalapeno slices than anybody needs. <laughs> um, I, I know it might be against the rules, but I'm going to have to agree with Riley and go with hot dog. Yeah. I I think I'd go – so back when I was a season ticket holder in like the 2000s, like early 2000s, one thing I would always do is get their chicken tender basket at the Bradley Center. It was chicken tenders and some fries. Every game I go to, that's what I would get because that was basically my dinner because my parents would drop me off at, you know, 6 o'clock so, and I didn't eat dinner beforehand because that's just who I am as a person. So I would say chicken tenders and fries would be my go-to. Perfect. I'd probably go hot dog too. Does anyone remember when the Bucks gave those had those themed hot dogs for the playoff teams a couple years ago? That was a huge thing for me and my oh, friends. It was like the Canadian yeah. dog, the Toronto yeah. dog had Canadian bacon on it. Yep. The Brooklyn dog had pepperoni and marinara. Yep, the uh, fans were not excited about that. It didn't make any sense. All right, last question real quick. You're at a party. Do you want control of the music or no? God, not no. at all. Never. Nope. No. <laughs> I don't want that pressure on me. Yeah. Kyle's thinking maybe Kyle? yes. Yeah. The silence is thinking of maybe I'm with, yes. I'm with the strong nose. I don't want the pressure. You know, I, I who all is at this party? Fair question. That's really going to dictate my answer. Is it a socially distanced party? It's incredibly socially distant. The most socially distant party. That's not just, like my kind of party. Just like, let's say your neighborhood or whatever. You're friends with your, in this scenario, you're friends with all your neighbors. You're doing a neighborhood party. Oh, I'm, no, I will 100% take that over because I can't trust anyone. I can't trust people's music taste, especially in college. There's way too much country music being played, and I absolutely hate country yeah. music. So mm-hmm. anytime yeah. a country music, anytime a country song was played, I immediately, Got it to change. So, I, yes, I will take full control because I probably don't like 99% of the music people play. This is the thing. Kyle's doing the strong consume the weak thing. He knows everybody else is also nervous about consuming or like controlling the music. He's like, I'm just going to take over. This is my moment. And I appreciate that, Kyle. Like, I feel like I would play good enough music. I just cannot do country music. And that, I mean, I'm still in Wisconsin, so it's very likely. Don't move to Texas. Don't plan on it. <laughs> Sweet. All right. So Kyle won't be putting on body like a back road at any point. <laughs> no, no. Is that a, no. a rabbit? 
How deep the phone on the apartment yes. or building that we're in. Yeah, that's a Sam Hunt song. Near and 500 million plays on Spotify. That's cool. It's a big one. It's yeah, kind it's of a big, big deal. One. All right. Okay. All right. That was rapid fire questions. Thanks for playing, guys. Let's move on to our next segment. It's time for Vulture Talk, Riley. What is the situation with Giannis's long-term contract? Giannis sent it to Kumpo. Giannis. 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 It is time for Vulture Talk. Uh, not a lot this week. Uh, the usual suspects, our biggest usual sp- suspect is the Miami Heat. Uh, Pat Riley, when considering offers that he would give to us, he was willing to include Tyler Harrow in any sort of deal. Um, that was the news across the wire this week is that they were willing to part with their future superstar in waiting. And I think that's really nice of the Heat because we're going to replace our homegrown superstar with a different type of homegrown superstar. Um, and I think uh, there was definitely a lot from like the six games in the playoffs from Tyler Harrow that would make me feel like he is the future that will replace Giannis. So I want to give a shout out to the Heat. They stay looking for deals and uh, we're going to be getting a nice sweetener in the pot. So uh, good stuff from them. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't want Tyler Harrow. <laughs> yeah, not know. if he's going to be the centerpiece of the Giannis return trade. I'm like, what are we doing here? I'm going to be distraught no matter what. And if I have to, uh, if I have to be distraught and convince myself and be happy that Tyra Harrow is going to be our guy of the future, I'm going to be doubly distraught. So I, I'm out on that deal. I was going to say, what's up for Tyler Harrow? I'll do it. Yes, give me that deal in a heartbeat. Uh, but I guess do I have to? Because I'd rather not. Like you guys saw that snarl, right? You saw it where his lip was like just ever so slightly. Like I can't do it because I don't have that kind of muscle control in my mouth. But it's like it looked like somebody just fish hooked him. <laughs> I just can't get that out of my head. And it'd be insufferable. Like, oh, Milwaukee Grown went to Whitmill or wherever the hell he went. Like, <laughs> I don't care. I really don't care. I don't I don't want him. It would be the John Luer experience on steroids. It would be like the 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 prodigal son has returned. He forsake he forsook Wisconsin and now he's back to lead the, the Bucks to championships or something. I mean, the Bucks have to have one Wisconsin resident on the team. It seems like that's just been the theme the last what four or five years. You have to have someone from Wisconsin on the team. Alex Antetokounmpo, Buck, there he is. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Riley, for that insight. Heat are always doing great stuff down there. Nice work. All right. Next segment, Kyle. Film review. All right. We got a couple films. So the first one I want to talk about is Easy A. Um, I would say a modern classic on and a modern take on The Scarlet Letter. I have not watched it since probably high school or early college. So re-watching it in like 12 years later was pretty different a lot of the jokes that they were making in that movie definitely don't hold up like they used to it it was just interesting watching it now that i'm older more mature have a wife kind of understand feminism a little bit more it's like oh this is there's some parts that are a little bit sketch there's some parts that are a little bit awkward but it was still an overall good movie easy easy to put on easy to watch i think it's not that hard to follow so i give it a six and a half out of ten like I said, some of the jokes that were made definitely don't hold up in 2020, but for the time that it was made, I think it was like 2008 or something. It was right at the end. It was around that time. It, I understand why it was as successful as it is, and Emma Stone is really good, so there's that. 
Second movie, uh, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Watch that one. That's a movie? Huh? I thought it was a book. They, they made it into a I movie. Thought, I thought that was Kyle's review of EZA. He yeah, was like, what, what you I expect thought. when you're expecting yeah. out of this movie. <laughs> Second movie. What to Expect When You're Expecting. Yes, it was a book. And then they made it a movie. Then it had all the heavy hitters. You know, I think, let me see, Cameron Diaz was in it. Anna Kundrick was in it. One of the dudes from Gossip Girl was in it. Chris Rock is in it. Um, Elizabeth Banks is in it. It's just, I don't know how they have the budget for this movie. Rebel Wilson was in it. Um, that dude from Glee, he was in it. Like, they had a lot of big names. Uh, don't know how they afforded it. I don't think it made that much of the box office, really. But it was funny watching that movie, especially now that I am a parent. It was interesting seeing how the different pregnancies were going and to understand like, Oh yeah. Em and I were like, yeah, we remember this happening or this doesn't exist. This is made up. This doesn't actually happen. So watching it was interesting. It, I mean, it was a rom-com, but I don't know. It felt more real. It, it felt, there were some parts that felt too real for me to fully enjoy. I give it a five and a half out of 10. It's all right. I think if you're trying to understand what, expecting to be parents is like don't use that as a resource there's some parts that are definitely over exaggerated um or just don't like just don't that you ask somebody to try to watch a movie like hey what's it like to be a parent their answer isn't going to help you because you can't know there's no knowing there's no knowing you're just going to mess up over and over and over and over and over and over again and hopefully a functional human comes out at the end of it and then when that functional human comes out, you hope that you don't screw up over and over and over again. And eventually you make your mistakes and learn from it. And maybe the kid has diaper rash and probably will hate your guts in five minutes. Who knows? <laughs> it's fine. So that was what to expect when you're expecting. And I'm going to do a quick Great British Bake Off review because that is now going to be added. We are getting pretty close to the end. A lot of the bakers have left. And of course... It was the hottest day in the history of the tent. So therefore, they decided, let's try and have the bakers make an ice cream cake, which sounds like the absolute worst idea. Apparently, it was 20 degrees Celsius, they said, which was probably getting to the 80s and 90s, if you convert that to Fahrenheit. They tried their best. Some of those bakers, I felt bad for them because that thing was melting in the freezer horribly. Um, Yeah, it was a very weird week. It was 1980s week. So they had to do a lot of 80s themes. So one of the things they did was like a donut, except it's not like the donut that you think of. Like if you go to Quick Trip Donut, it's like a big, almost like a mini loaf of bread that's just fried. It, I don't know. It was how England interprets some of the desserts and some of the things that are big. It can be the same thing. Like biscuits can be the same thing, but what we think of biscuits is completely different than what they think of biscuits. But Enjoyable week. Felt bad for the baker that had to go home because she just had a train wreck of a day. And that's going to happen, especially when you're trying to make an ice cream cake in the middle of summer and you're in a tent. So my film reviews. Would you there say she had like a Eric Bledsoe in the Eastern Conference Finals like day? Was that kind of like what her day was like? It was more Eric Bledsoe against Boston. <laughs> Jesus. It, you just knew that the only way that person wasn't going to go home is if someone did worse. And that just didn't happen. Quality media recommendations by the Brew Media critic, Kyle Carr. Thank you for gracing us with those reviews. Riley, close us out. 
I'm very intrigued by today's fountain pen ink review. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I have no idea what I've already viewed what's been on here. I think this might be the last thing for a long time because, shocker, this is an expensive hobby and I haven't spent <laughs> money on it in a while. Uh, this week we have Robert Oster Clearwater Rain. Uh, it's one of the Australian ink brands out there. Apparently the guy, Robert Oster, he's like a hermit who lives in like Western Australia. Like he doesn't do, he doesn't meet people ever. Like he has somebody he hired out in Melbourne who like does the sales, but otherwise he's just like some guy who hangs out in a garage somewhere and invents these. But I've done a little sample here. I'm sure if you can see if you guys can see, where's the camera, where's the camera? So here's the blue here. It's like a turquoise, almost like an aquamarine going on. It's very, um, it, it looks very like matte here because I put down a whole bunch of ink, but when you have like a thicker nib, um, it gives you a lot of depth. There's like a lot of highs, a lot of lows. It, it sheens a little bit as well. Um, it's, it's maybe a little too turquoise for my taste, but when I got the pen that I got with it, I was like, oh, I want to go to some like really off the wall color. So I was like, eh, why not try this like turquoise one and try a different brand I haven't tried before. So the ink is really good. I'd probably do a different color, but he has like hundreds and hundreds of different colors. So I'll probably go back to there. But um, for those interested, Robert Oster, good ink. Here's a little bottle that comes in. It's really cute. And you can see my finger has it on there too. So that's this week's fountain pen ink review and probably the last fountain pen thing for a while until, uh, you know, paycheck clears or something. So keep an eye out. Thanks, Riley. <clears throat> Link will be up for Riley's uh, fountain pen GoFundMe shortly after the, the taping of this podcast. All right. That's going to do it for us. Uh, Mitchell, because you're, because you were, Gracious enough to come on here and record with us late at night. You anything you're you're looking for in the weeks ahead in case we don't hear from you uh again on, on the podcast and more just on the site. Um uh, I mean, the offseason is gonna come to an uh, start at some point. So we're gonna have the draft and then free agency is gonna happen, and then all the trades are gonna happen, and then all of a sudden, hey, it's December, training camp starts, and all of a sudden, hey, it's Christmas. The games are underway, question mark, <laughs> because that's a smart decision. It's not. It's not smart. So I might do something on just how bad of a decision it is, even with today's somewhat cautiously optimistic news about a vaccine becoming available sometime soon-ish. I just it feels like they're rushing the season. Um, but honestly, it might be going too fast. So I think we're all going to have to kind of strap in to hang on for it. Agreed. We've we've kind of expressed some of those sentiments before. It's going to be uh, a pretty wild ride. Draft's going to be coming up soon, so I think in our next pod we're going to be talking a little bit about some draft draft prospects that we're looking at at twenty four. Just pray that the Bucks keep that pick at twenty four, so it doesn't just make all of our content useless. Uh, in the meantime, go to brewhoop.com, help close out the trade proposal bracket. We're going to be in the championship round really, really soon here. It's been an awesome exercise. We're also continuing the uh, community draft board on there and we'll be uh, putting up a couple more draft pieces soon and trying to see who, who y'all want the bucks to pick. So go to brewhoop.com, follow us on Twitter at brewhoop, like us on Facebook, subscribe to the uh, podcast, share it with your friends, and we'll talk to you again soon.